Welcome to the Ready Yeti Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the Ready Yeti membership. We've grown to have thousands of products from some amazing up-and-coming brands. Anything from skis and snowboards, jackets, hiking boots, even supplements and snack bars. It's an incredible way to save a ton on gear with discounts of up to 50% off. Join the Ready Yeti membership and do your part to help support some of these incredible small businesses that aren't just making incredible gear, but are also putting a lot of effort into social action and doing their part to create an environmentally conscious business. Join today at www.readyyeti.com members and start supporting these amazing startups and saving a ton on gear. What is going on, Ready Yeti Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Standard Luggage, Ryan Chong. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Hey, Josh. Thanks a lot for having me. Okay, so Standard Luggage, what, what is the problem that you guys really um, set out to solve? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, it was kind of a personal journey. Um, so personally in, in 2014, I was doing a lot of travel, uh, through Asia. And, um, at the time I was using kind of like a hiking backpack, you know, I've done a lot of, um, outdoor travel and that was kind of familiar to me. Um, but, um, if anyone who's traveled through like Southeast Asia, you know, that, um, you're going to like a lot of cities, you're jumping on a lot of planes, you're doing a lot of intermodal stuff, you're jumping through trains and tuk-tuks and stuff, and you're moving a lot between like hostels, um, almost on a kind of daily cycle. Uh, I was having this particular problem. I was having kind of an exploding backpack problem. Anyway, sure. you know, it was, you know, I was completely discombobulated. I was disorganized. I had kind of my electronics and my laptop with me. And, um, you know, just the gear that I was using just wasn't cutting it. Um, on the market side, uh, there's something, you know, it was pretty interesting what was happening in Canada. This was uh, 2016 and the two major airline carriers, they just started charging for check bag fees. And there was a huge uh, consumer backlash at the time and everyone's moving to carry on only. Uh, that was, so that was kind of presenting kind of a market opportunity to me. Um, so the solution is we uh, design like a backpack uh, that's built specifically for air travel. Um, it's built for, you know, um, uh, people who travel in cities um, uh, and travel abroad. Uh, it's designed for that particular use case. Uh, for me personally, just traveling in Asia um, and, um, you know, traveling kind of in that way. Um, so um, to just kind of describe the product. So it's, um, so it's a backpack that um, fits exactly the dimensions of uh, the carry-on weight limit. Uh, carry on size limit rather. Um, so like if you throw our backpack into that measurement cage, when you get on the airlines, it fits that thing like a glove and, um, uh, functionality wise, it's got a zip that opens up all the way around the perimeter. So it's easy to use. It's easy to pack and it's got a bunch of tech friendly features too. So it's got a dedicated laptop pocket with a cushion that protects your laptop and it's super convertible. In the sense that you can wear it as a backpack, and we use it as a shoulder bag, or you can use it as a suitcase. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Um, so, you know, it was a combination of my experience traveling at that time, and then also recognizing in the market there was a problem to solve. Definitely. And it, to kind of bring this point up, it, it really is an issue with traveling. Like for, for us right now, a lot of our team has been traveling around Costa Rica, and our one of our team members um, is flying from New York 
to Costa Rica today to meet us. <laughs> and your bag showed up, I think it was two days ago, and he was just, his literal reaction on Slack was, oh my God, this bag is incredible. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that um, because, you know, like you guys like our, our market, right? So I think like also just the nature in the way that like we're working these days is changing. So I'm seeing like um, a lot more time and location independence in the sense that, you know, people don't need to be tied down to any particular situation. I'm seeing a lot of people moving into like co-working spaces. Um, I'm seeing people to really take advantage of, you know, technology and the ability to um, not really be tied down to any particular location. Um, you know, I've adopted that myself because, you know, I run an e-commerce business. So um, I'm afforded that time and location independence. But I'm really seeing, you know, kind of a breakthrough in the way that people are working. So I think, you know, uh, for what we're doing, it's, it's really complementary to that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. And then you guys have the packing cube, which I think for me has been um, like we've been traveling for like four and a half weeks now at this point. And after like a week or two, you just are like, I don't know where anything is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You kind of want like the the, the packing cubes are kind of neat in the sense that so we, um, you know, we started with the backpack, but in my mind, um, you know, we always wanted to design kind of an all encompassing system. Uh, so we added a packing cube, we added the day pack. The packing cubes are nice because they fit kind of the exact uh, dimensions of the bag. So it, usually, you know, most people, they go out and buy like a backpack or suitcase and then they go out and buy like a set of packing cubes, stay organized. They never fit the the backpack so we designed like you know like a like a set of packing cubes that just just fit the exact dimensions of the bag so you don't lose any wasted space yeah i think that's really smart now let's talk a little about your your background do you have any experience in design or manufacturing or did you kind of just figure this out once you really knew you had this problem when you were traveling throughout asia yeah. So, uh, so yes and no to that question. Um, so my background is, is technology. Um, so I've spent a, a great deal of my career in software product management. So um, uh, at least, you know, in the technology side of things, um, you know, like from an engineering kind of background, put a lot of rigor into like product design. And so it was intuitive me to the sense of, you know, understanding you know, in technology, we call it uh, MVP or minimum viable product, which is really kind of understanding kind of the market and uh, how to get like a product quickly to market that fits customer needs. Um, so I understood that part of it. Um, so, um, you know, insofar of, uh, as, you know, understanding the customer and the needs, like that was pretty intuitive to me. Um, but on the product design, like, and industrial design side, I didn't have any formal training in that. So that was kind of skills that I needed to kind of pick up as I went. Um, but luckily, you know, um, when you're designing a product, software or physical, um, you know, the, the, the foundational principles are the same. So at least, um, you know, with my background, that could kind of carry me along the way. Definitely. So how long did it take you to really prototype the first uh, backpack? Yeah, that, that, so that was totally interesting. So. <laughs> um, it was a, it was kind of a journey, six months altogether, and um, and uh, to outline it, um, you know, you start, you know, you start designing it on paper, um, you get a sense of like kind of the aesthetics. For for me, this is how it worked, um, and then um, the biggest time, uh, the biggest time commitment was actually finding kind of a manufacturing partner. That, um, like you go out to um, Alibaba, which is kind of like the 
you know, the global eBay for global manufacturing. You put out, you put out RFPs and um, you, you go look for uh, a manufacturing partner that can kind of deliver on what you want to do. Uh, that was probably the most time intensive part. So you go out and you put your requirements out there and you, you kind of, you wait, and then you had to kind of carefully select who you want to work with. Um, but also finding someone who could work with me, given, you know, my lack of experience and kind of take a risk on me um, and also kind of do it iteratively. So at the time I was based in Toronto, um, my manufacturer is based in Asia. So um, every time you want to do kind of a version or in, in, um, in physical products, you sample, um, you, you had to do it uh, kind of iteratively. So, you know, we'd push you know, kind of designs that work with their industrial designers over there. You do a design, um, um, they would make it, and then it would get FedEx back to me in Toronto. Um, and then <laughs> the first the first uh, versions were pretty rough, right? So you start with, you know, you ask, sure. you ask, you ask for a cow, you get a goat kind of thing. Um, so it was working iteratively. The whole process all together, I would say, you know, it probably took about six uh, samples to get to something workable. And then um, over a period of about six months. That's crazy. It must have been a fun experience seeing it sort of slowly come together over time. Yeah, it was fun. Super rewarding, actually, too, because, um, I mean, every time, I mean, it's, it's almost like Christmas, right? Like you get... Uh, right, 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 right. Yeah, you, you send over the requirements, you, you, know, like you have a couple of weeks of anticipation, and like the FedEx box arrives, and you're like, you bring it up to your apartment, you're unboxing it, you're like... Hmm. Like, I mean, like the. I mean, like this is this is pretty close, but they really messed up. You know, this handle or this zip, this um, this pocket is completely backwards. Um, but it's it, it's funny. It was kind of a journey, and then you just um, you just do it iteratively, and then you just work on it until you get something you like. Definitely. So I assume once you locked in the design, you knew that the manufacturer could build what you wanted. You then sort of created a, a Kickstarter campaign to sort of get the initial round of funding and pay for the first round of production. Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, all along the process, you're, you're taking these samples back and you're testing them um, because um, uh, a, a part of the part of really durable, you know, an honest, durable product. Uh, so you're testing it too, you're stress testing it. And, and um, you know, I'm going on trips and I'm, I'm trying it out and I'm giving it to my friends. I'm getting feedback all along the way. Um, but, um, what's interesting about that is your friends will always tell you, it's like, yeah, man, I, I, I love your product. It's, it's awesome. You should totally go for it. But like, um, the Kickstarter for me was, uh, putting it out there, uh, and getting some real, you know, feedback and validation in the market. And, and you're absolutely right too. Um, like Kickstarter is kind of a game changer for anyone who's kind of bootstrapping, you know, um, you know, like a product company. Um, in the sense that uh, you can go out there and you can engage that that community of active users. And uh, unbelievably at the time for me, I mean, like I've done a couple now, um, but um, kind of surprising to me, it's like you really have, you engage that user base and they'll, they'll really get behind your idea and they'll help you take that to market uh, through, um, through funding or through funding your idea. Definitely. So at this point, you run three different campaigns um, through Kickstarter. So obviously you believe in sort of using that platform to help get the awareness out there and get the user feedback. Is there anything that you learned um, from Kickstarter that you, I guess you didn't anticipate? Um, I would say, um, well, I mean, the feedback and the validation was tremendous. What I, what I really learned is 
um, the backers of the of the campaigns are so knowledgeable. You get you get a really interesting mix, and you get and you get some people who are really engaged in the sense that you know that they they themselves are product uh, people, they're entrepreneurs, they're also um, industrial designers, they're people who are very savvy. So like the breadth of feedback was um, was something I learned, and uh, it was it was just tremendous because um, all of that feedback. So like we've you know, from the initial Kickstarter launch, we've launched, you know, like another five products and we've also gone through a number of iterations to improve the product. All that feedback was used and it was just poured back into uh, the product uh, process to inform future design decisions. Uh, so that was something I learned and I wasn't anticipating. Now, when you when you got this started, you were running these early Kickstarter campaigns. Were you working another job at the same time or were you working off of savings while you got this rolling? Yeah, for sure. So it was kind of a side hustle at the time. So I was working. Yeah, I was working a corporate job uh, again in the product uh, tech space um, up in. Yeah. So up in Toronto. Uh, so it's kind of just kind of side hustling this through. Uh, interestingly, uh, it was is more manageable than people think because you kind of go and you do your like your nine to five. And then um, at night, you really got like some really good downtime. And and, uh, and in, my, in my case, because my manufacturing partner is based in Asia, it's like the reverse time zone. So it's actually it's actually really conducive to get out of your job. And then you just start kind of uh, getting on Skype and you start working on stuff uh, on the other side. And then not sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, too. That's uh, coffee addiction. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of an interesting side effect. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Okay, so... Now, do you you obviously over time learned the manufacturing piece of the business, um, but in regards to like marketing, like because this is obviously a direct to consumer business, what did you do to really get the word out there and build the awareness to obviously do over a hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, business on Kickstarter and then obviously catapult the business to where it is now? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I was kind of cognizant of the fact that um, like having launched products and launched um, kind of startups in the past, um, you know, the launch is really kind of um, kind of the middle point. A lot of the the pre-work um, goes into uh, creating the campaign before you actually launch the campaign publicly. Um, so there were, um, there were influencer lists um, that were put together um, to kind of reach out to people uh, in advance, uh, just letting them know that like there's this product happening um, uh, uh, and this Kickstarter launch uh, coming through. Um, there was tapping kind of friends and families um, too. Um, so um, having them ready kind of on day uh, one to kind of get an initial push uh, because a lot of what Kickstarter is, is, is creating initial momentum. So um, it's getting up on like the leaderboards and the design board uh, kind of getting high up. So you can kind of have, you start kind of fast and then um, you hope that um, through organic kind of awareness on Kickstarter, it kind of carries you through uh, through the way. So there was, a, there was a lot of kind of campaign pl planning in, in the same way that you know, you plan a product launch or a marketing campaign. There was a lot of background work that was done in advance of the campaign to kind of get rolling. Uh, once we were rolling, um, I'd say there was just a little bit of luck. So we did get some coverage and some outlets um, that kind of helped uh, bring like outside audiences outside of Kickstarter to fund the campaign. Um, I think you bring up a good point. Like um, the reality of Kickstarter is um, they'll give you a nice push to kind of get you going. But the onus is really on the creator to really sustain the campaign over the duration and bring kind of outside audiences into the campaign to carry carry you through so that you can really uh, achieve your goal, whatever that may be. That funding goal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How important would you say the, the Kickstarter video was for your success? 
I think it was, I think it was fairly important. Um, you know, I think, you know, we had a kind of like a fun kind of lifestyle video. I know I still get feedback to this day that it's just like you guys really did a great job on the video, just showing all kind of the use cases and um, really kind of making it a tangible kind of um, um, or just kind of bringing awareness in kind of tangible ways. Like, oh, I would use those features the way that you guys portrayed them and just really makes a lot of sense. That could really make, you know, that could really make my trip uh, a lot easier. And it looks like a really handy, super uh, easy thing to use. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think. Uh, I think the video was kind of interesting. Like it's always kind of um, uh, one of those foundational pieces is really super important for every Kickstarter campaign. Definitely. What would you say has been one of the hardest parts about building the business up to this point? Yeah. So um, I think uh, working alone is, is, is definitely a challenge because uh, um, um, so I, I, I did leave my corporate job, um, you know, after the business was uh, rolling and more established. And then I had to find, you know, a completely different way of working um, because you're like, you don't have, you don't have a supervisor, you don't have a manager anymore, keeping you accountable to deliverables. You're only accountable to yourself. So I found, um, you know, I found uh, kind of adapting and kind of finding um, a new way of working uh, that would, you know, uh, making sure I have the right environment and um, uh, making sure I have the right motivation for myself to keep, keep moving the business forward. Uh, that was probably the biggest challenge uh, of working on the business. Yeah, I mean, we can relate to that. I can relate to that completely. For me, the biggest piece was going from a job in an a office with a bunch of people around to being alone. Yeah. <laughs> you be, know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, like it's like we glorify we glorify entrepreneurship and like um, you know, as starting your own path, and it's it's amazing. It carries forward like so many benefits, but um, what we don't talk about is like the isolation. And, uh, yeah, it's yeah. so you feel so isolated at first, um, especially like for us, like we, we have a team of three founders, but one of us was in, in Atlanta and two of us were in New York. But when I went full time at first, our third guy who was also in New York with me still had a full time job. Yeah. So for 12 hours a day, I didn't see him. You know what I'm saying? And I was like in a coffee shop or wherever, just kind of like with my head down. And after like a couple months of it, you're just like, I'm going crazy. <laughs> I need to talk to someone <laughs> like yeah. Well, can I ask you a question? Like, how did you adapt to that? Um, so for, for us, since we're very outdoor focused, the way in which I adapted was by making a partnership with um, a few climbing gyms in New York that have like these like co-working spaces attached yeah. to their gym. And so I just work out of there and then climb and like make friends with people that were that worked there or climbed there. And then we did a few like partnership events with the climbing gym, mm -hmm. which also helped. So that yeah. kind of like helped create that community <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> until yeah. the full team was full time. Yeah, that's cool. I, like me, like very much the same. So, um, you know, when I started kind of working on my own on this, um, I really, I mean, I really want to take the opportunity to travel. Um, but uh, I, I found that um, for me, I really had to park myself in, in co-working spaces to A, just kind of get the focus um, and, and get the like environment right to, to be productive and stay on task. Uh, but then um, the byproduct of co-working like is it's just like the community around it. I met so many like awesome people 
uh, through the process of working in different co-working spaces in different cities. Um, you know, like I use like um, use like spaces, I use WeWork, um, depending on the city that I'm traveling in. What's really nice about that is you, you meet a lot of like like-minded people too. Uh, tends to be a lot tech focused, digital focused, marketing agencies. So not only like do you meet people who um, you know uh, you know through shared stories and experiences like can really help you kind of elevate what you're doing. Um, it's uh, you can also like just find like cool business partnerships too, which is also awesome. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. But it, it's funny in the beginning, you're just sort of like a deer in headlights because you're just like, oh, I'm so excited to do this thing. And then you're doing it and you're like, wait a minute, I haven't talked to someone in like 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. If I could like, it, I could throw out some resources. I mean, like Tim Ferriss, um, I'm sure a lot of your audience like follows sure. him. Uh, he's got a lot of resources on, on that. Um, and it's helped me. I mean, like the four hour work week is basically like template for my business, basically. And she gives you a lot of tools and strategies on how to how to cope with that. And he's actually one of the few people who are actually talking about like the problem of starting a business, but also feeling isolated at the same time. That's a really good point. Now, yeah. uh, shifting back to, to standard luggage, what would you say has been one of the biggest mistakes that you've made up to this point? Yeah, I like, made a ton of mistakes, but um, uh, the biggest one was probably rushing. So, um, you know, when you're doing, and, and this is and this is a byproduct of working formally in technology where kind of the prevailing idea is like move fast and break things. Um, in physical products, you kind of have to just slow down a bit um, because it's not like, so in technology, you can just push like a software release um, and just roll back. <laughs> so if the product breaks, you just you just hit a button and you go back. Right. Um, in 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 physical products, um, obviously I'm aware of it, but like when you you make um you know a mistake on mass on the product, and then you're committed for a manufacturing run of like hundreds of units, um, you're gonna eat that uh, for months or or longer. Um, it causes all sorts of problems. So like uh, I guess the biggest mistake was just. Um, you know, we've had problems with the products. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's like we're, we're human and we make mistakes. So, um, 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 and like the problem, uh, the problem is like you push, you know, like if there's a, like a defect or a mistake in that product. Um, and a big part of what we are is we, we back all our products with a satisfaction guarantee unconditionally. We'll replace it. Um, but you got to own that. Right. So, um, um, you know, we've made some mistakes where, where, where it's just like, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, pieces to pick up on on the back end when you're solving that's to solve for customer problems when when things go wrong. Um, I'd probably try to be more methodical um, and, and really take my time when it comes to like big decisions, uh, do things more iteratively and uh, and really test things more thoroughly uh, when we come to any uh, product releases. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business, whether it was in the outdoor or travel space or just a business in general? Yeah, I think, well, I think I always say like you have to have a passion for what you're doing. And that might be a little bit cliche because a lot of people, but I, I truly mean that in the sense that um, uh, there's there's so many highs and lows to starting a business. And I think like when you're, when you're high, you're high and everything's going good. But when you're in low and kind of like in a dark spot, like it's really the passion for the product and the problem that you're trying to solve that's really going to carry you through. So when it, whatever it is uh, that you're doing, I just 
I just really think that you should be just passionate about it and it should be something that's really ingrained in you. Um, and then another thing I would say is start where you have kind of an unfair advantage. So through through your experience, through through your action sport, um, it could be through um, uh, your professional experience. There might be something about the market or the product that you know that no one else doesn't know. Uh, and that's an advantage to you. Um, so think about where uh, kind of your unique capabilities are uh, and your knowledge um, um, comes in where you can kind of have an outside outsized impact on whatever you're trying to do. I think that's really great advice. Now, yeah. where where do you see standard luggage going in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Yeah, you know, no, I, I, for me personally, I'm always near-term focused. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it comes back to our missions. Like our mission is to help people travel smarter and more efficiently. We focus a lot on the backpacks. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of avenues that we can take uh, outside of backpacks or even luggage, really. So um, I'd like to I'd like to start looking at other types of gear. I'd like to start looking at tools, um, physical and also resources too. So I think um, there's something there's there's a content side of this business that I'm looking at. Um, there's a services side, content and services side that we can really take this. I think that's a really long term goal. Uh, again, like really right now, I'm just focused on you know just just making sure we have like the best product uh, we can possibly at this time and um, and solving for the use case uh, with the backpacks. What's the best part about running standard luggage? Yeah, it's it's got to be the time and location independence, for sure. Um, you know, over the last year, uh, you know, I've, I've I've taken the opportunity. I've probably spent about 110 days on the road, uh, visited like six countries, and I worked in like all these different co-working spaces, and I met a bunch of people. Um, so really, uh, it, number one for me, and it just really fits kind of my values and my lifestyle. It's just like, um, and also just being a travel brand is kind of nice too. <laughs> um, but uh, really really the, the 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 time independence i'm like in control of my own day i don't have to respond to any bosses that's really nice and and really just the ability to scratch my travel itch and uh, just and just go places and, and really um changing the way that i travel too it's nice too i mean like before you know you get your two weeks of vacation a year and you got trying to maximize your pto and you're, you're rushing places i really changed now i really go slow um i really go to like places um that are that are like off the beaten path and i really now i'm in a mode where um travel's integrated with work so you know i might be somewhere and i might be like working for three days and that's fine and i don't feel the pressure to 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 go out and do things or activities or anything and then then i'll like have some downtime and then i'll just like i'll just go and visit wherever i am for a couple of days so um it's been a it's been a really nice journey it's so funny. We, we've actually been kind of trying to get into that same mode because we've been a lot of the people that we meet while we travel are in the place that we're staying for a couple of weeks for like two or three days. Yeah. So they're just basically like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do all these things. And we're like, I, I, we, we're spending the next two days working and then we're going to go do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is, and it only comes like apparent to you when, um, when you're, when you're doing it. It's just like, wow, like, yeah, I really... Like I didn't really contemplate that travel could change uh, or could be changed the way it, like now I'm doing it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Now, what 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 about travel uh, excites you so much? Like, what made you decide to start um, traveling around so much? Yeah, I, well, I mean, for me, um, I really, I really believe like travel is kind of like a transformational process. I feel like, um, you know, we get so stuck in like you know our everyday careers and our cities if you live in a city um and you know 
it doesn't really become apparent to you to you until um uh, you, you go out and travel um and like you live in like this monoculture um so like example like uh, i really like japan when i go to japan i feel like i'm on a different planet and oh me too <laughs> and it's it's and like a, like we could, we could talk an hour on japan uh it's it, it's just it's it's just that that experience of like um so like you like you might be at home you might be doing work you might be burning out at your job and then you just kind of like unfreeze yourself and it just like frees you up and then to experience a different culture um and just kind of get like a like a sensory reset and just floods uh, floods your awareness. Uh, I think that's like a transformative experience in itself. For me, for me, it helps me recharge. Uh, it helps me feel more creative. Uh, it helps me like learn more about future people and culture. And I think that's all good things uh, when it comes to kind of supporting what I'm trying to do uh, with the business and life and relationships. So that's really how I look at travel. Yeah, I, honestly, I I feel so similarly, especially with uh, you know been traveling for the last. Uh, four to five weeks at this point. Um, it's motivating when you have like X amount of tasks that you have to get done or whatever in a certain day. And you're like, okay, so I'm doing this so that I can go surf this remote beach in Costa Rica Yeah, <laughs> yeah. at 4 p.m. because high tide's at six or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you get all your work done and you get out there and you're doing that thing and you're like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, just let's just go back to like how to get motivated, right? Like, um, I think that's a great way to get motivated. I've definitely structured kind of my life around that too, right? So like Toronto's always home base. Um, and I know like when I'm home in Toronto, I'm working, but I always want to like line up the next trip, like two, three months out. And then I know like I got a finite amount of time where I got to kind of sprint and get a lot of stuff done. So I know that I can like truly enjoy my next trip. Um, so when it comes back to that motivation piece, I mean, like travel can be like one of those amazing things where it just time boxes your activities and then, you know, you got a reward at the end of the day. So that, that, that makes me think of an interesting question because our, our team has been kind of grappling with this where two of our guys gave up our, we gave up our apartments in September <laughs> and have just been traveling more, um, just full time. Um, do you like the idea of having more of a home base and then like doing sort of like longer trips periodically? I like the idea of having a home base for like the reason I just, just mentioned. Cause like it just right. it sets up like, um, it just naturally leads to like high intensity periods of like sprints and work. Um, I, I, you know, that's an interesting question too, because I've been thinking about that too. Cause it's just like, what's the point in having this apartment that I'm paying? Exactly. Toronto's an expensive, it's getting, it's not expensive where you guys are, but, uh, it's getting to be expensive and it's, it's definitely a drag because I could be definitely doing more given the opportunity costs. Um, right. Yeah, you know, honestly, I haven't figured that out right now for me, it just seems to be working. It's just like Toronto home base, spend a majority of time. I've got my friends and my family here. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time here anyway. Um, but um, yeah. And then, and then just take long trips um, along the way. Yeah. Well, it's, it's all a journey, isn't it? But yeah. Um, yeah. I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast um, and share the story of uh, standard luggage, Ryan. It really is interesting just to see how you had a problem while you were traveling and you really put together a solution um, in the bag that you put together and then obviously just seeing it grow over time. And for anyone that's listening to this podcast before November 19th, they can actually enter to win um, the travel backpack or carry on backpack uh, along with 
other gear from other up-and-coming brands in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space. So just head over to Red Yeti for your chance to win. And with that, Ryan, thanks again for, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Hey, Josh, it's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Yeti Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.